Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Casual Krakoa. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. You are listening today to a Casual Krakoa episode where we're going to talk about all the X-Men comics that came out today. New Mutants number 22, Excalibur number 24, Hellions number 16. Thanks to those of you who are joining live. Quite appreciate it. Those of you who are here, let me know what's going on. Get in some good questions that you got going. Uh, any issues in uh, audio or video or anything with the stream here, let me know in the chat and I will happily, happily address them as we move. Uh, I was I had all sorts of issues getting YouTube to allow me to stream. They're trying to they're trying to silence me. Trying, trying to keep my extremely hot X-Men predictions uh, down and, and off of YouTube, but they couldn't do it. So hopefully you all can hear me. And actually, I'm not just bellowing into the void, which would be the ultimate prank that YouTube could pull on an attempted live stream, of course. So let me know how things are going here on uh, in terms of audio and video. I just want to make sure everything's working because I didn't get to use my, do my usual checks. But otherwise, again, I'm Dave. You can find all my stuff at Comic Book Herald on social at comicbookherald.com for, uh, for you know, content and, of course, reading orders. And here on the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel, if you like the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing, all of that fun stuff. Uh, it helps me out. Commenting on the videos. Even that, it shows YouTube, it shows the algorithm that uh, people are engaging, that they like the content, or don't, but that they're talking about it, right? And all of that helps me out a fair amount. Uh, things are moving slowly here. Things are moving super slowly uh, on my internet, <laughs> on my stream. So uh, bear with me as I try to get started. But again, I'm going to be going in-depth on New Mutants 22, Excalibur 24, Hellions number 16, and then I got some additional topics that hopefully we can focus on today. Uh, I want to talk about, answer some questions here. Who's coming to the X office after Hickman? Okay, we got some clues and frankly some reveals, uh, some of which have been announced, some of which have not. We got uh, some good questions from some listeners here. I also want to talk X-Men continuity is more tangled than it has been in the entirety of the Krakoa era. Okay, in the entirety of the Krakoa era, I want to talk about that and what that means and uh, some additional topics here. So thank you. Thank you all for joining live. And again, I'm going to uh, dig right in. I think, you know, the best approach, I think the best approach right now is to talk through my favorite comic of the day, which was by far New Mutants number 22. And thank you. Before I do that, thank you, Cole Weathers, so much here in the Super Chat coming in hot with the donation. Really, really appreciate it. Um, those of you, the Super Chat is open if you want to get in uh, any super generous support or, you know, if you want to get in a priority question, uh, I will definitely prioritize those and make sure I get to them in the chat. I try to get to every single one of those uh, as they come in, as well as, you know, any additional questions. Don't hesitate, of course, and I'll try to pull out what I can as I try to do the, the tricky balance of speaking and pulling questions at the same darn time. All right. So, all right, let's dig in. New Mutants 22 was a fantastic, fantastic comic. Uh, this is written by Vida Ayala. Artist Rodriguez, letters Travis Lanham. New Mutants has been very good since Ayala and Race took over. Okay, um, it has gone from very bottom tier of the X Men comics line to near the top. Okay, near the top. It's perpetually in this stage of like cracking into my very top faves of this of the reign of X, 
and and kind of being like the start of the second tier. And today's issue, number 22, is an issue where I say, oh yeah, this is in the top tier. This is a top tier issue. Um, Rod Rice absolutely artistically knocked this one out of the park. Like this is the best looking X-Men comic, not only of the week, but probably, I don't know, of the last how many days, 60 you know, so how, how far back do we have to run it? Maybe Pepe Larraz and, and Marta Gracia on um, on Planet Size X-Men, you know, we can go back to 90. So I think like, it's it's great. It's It looks amazing artistically, all the layouts, all the design, that Bill Sienkiewicz inspiration. You got Martin Simmons, another, another child of Sienkiewicz, right, artistically in terms of influence, doing the cover for issue 22, which it looks incredible here right next to me. Um, this issue rocks, it's great. The New Mutants, you know, we've had, a slow build of sorts, but a direct build, a purposeful build to this showdown with the Shadow King, which really kicks off in earnest here in this issue. Um, I think, you know, if you look at New Mutants 22 and, and even Hellion 16 in comparison to Excalibur 24, for example, right? The use of building plots, threading seeds, and sort of the momentum that is required to slow play certain things and get to a point where the payoff was worth the slowness, you can see sort of the gap in creator's ability to do this. New Mutants doing it super effectively. Excalibur 24, an issue that came out today, is very intriguingly paying off seeds that were planted 14 issues ago. Since Excalibur number one even, 24 issues ago, okay? And the challenge that I've had with Excalibur and this is well documented if you followed the Kraken Krakoa series and whatnot, is, you know, is the is the pace of it, is the slowness of planting those seeds, is it now the at the point where we're at issue number 24, was all that worth it? Was all of that earned, you know? So if you were along for the ride and you were invested, and I think New Mutants, for me, does that way more effectively now. It took some turns. It took some space. It had, you know, Vita Ayala, Rod Race, fill in artists, they're comfortable taking some space to have some conversations between the OG mutants, um, throwing Warpath on the moon with some of the kids, right? Taking their time with some of these elements and now getting to the Shadow King story. And I think, especially when you go and binge this on Marvel Unlimited or read this in trade, or, you know, if you read it more, in, not on that super, you know, like, what's the word? Super ineffectual month to month basis that we all do. I think these are going to read fantastically, fantastically well. Um, I already think they do right in a lot of ways. So basically what happens here is we open with a vision of all of Krakoa's enemies attacking at once, essentially, and taking out the OG New Mutants, right? So the core cast of like Magic, um, uh, Karma, uh, Danny Moonstar, Wolfsbane, and, and Warpath here. And I was assuming this was like a fake future, you know, some sort of vision the Shadow King was showing them maybe in the future and then we'd come around chronologically. But no, this is all actually happening. Like they're confronting the Shadow King basically live and in person. They're going to Amal Farouk and they're saying, hey, you've been manipulating children here on the island. Um, you seemingly definitely killed uh, Gabby. <laughs> like I think there was some mystery to me as to like, did, did the Shadow King actually do this? There seems to be no more mystery. It seems to be, it was confirmed right there in the, the introduction to the issue that like, yes, the Shadow King did that, or at least that's everything the comic that is telling us right now. Um, and this is going down. They're, they're approaching the Shadow King and they're actually confronting this character who uh, Vida Ayala and team continue to do interesting work with in terms of like the Shadow King, Amal Farouk actually being a person at one point in time and having this malignant dimension spanning evil entity inside of of them, right? And what does that mean? Is, is Amal Farouk ever going to break free? There's implications here that maybe this character will. Um, 
the kid friend crew, you know, the, the young kids, they go to Laura, or they go to Gabby, rather, Laura's, Laura's ward of sorts, right, her clone, and are finally done with the Shadow King, right? So everyone's kind of coming to their senses here in terms of, like, there was a lot of talk initially of, like, oh, the Shadow King, maybe he's got our best interest at heart. You know, he's trying to get the kids to work together. Um, everyone's kind of coming to their senses and being like, mm, that ancient evil entity, <laughs> probably not. Probably not the best pal, probably not the best mentor. Also, I think he killed the guy, <laughs> right? Or in this case, Gabby. Um, so Farouk's apparent actions, uh, you know, in the working against Krakoa seem pretty clearly out in the open. I think the only gap here, and I, I think I only say this about New Mutants because it's literally connecting to big Krakoan threads better than any comic in the X-Men line right now. Like, Vidal is doing a better job sinking into what is the point of this era and what else is happening in other comics than literally any other comic, okay? And you know how I know that? You know how I'm able to back that up? It happens every time a New Mutants issue comes out. But this week, for example, there's a brief reference and an editor's note to Trial of Magneto, that big five-issue miniseries, maxi-series of sorts, written by Leah Williams going out right now, right? It actually acknowledges that Trial of Magneto is happening. It is the only book doing that. <laughs> Other books are not. Inferno certainly isn't, right? Um, and that's what I'm going to get to when I get to talking about, you know, X-Men continuity and kind of the tangle that is going on in the dance that the, the X-Office is, uh, you know, kind of trying to waltz here. Um, but Vidal does a great job of that. The other, the other thing that stood out to me, um, in addition to pulling in, like, Brew King of the Brood, last issue, which again, nobody else has touched, is the conversation between Amal Farouk, Shadow King, and um, and the, the New Mutants, right? And Amal Farouk actually saying, like, basically they're having a conversation about, like, what is the point of Krakoa? Like, what is the point of all this? Which is a really good conversation to be having. Like, this, this type of conversation, I think, fits in very well following a House and Powers read or reread or whatever, getting a feel for, like, what are the issues? of this nation? What is the point of this nation? What is the value of continued integration into a human world of sorts, even with Krakoa standing apart? They're still very much, you know, Ringo Starr, peace and love, peace and love, right? They're doing that whole thing. And uh, and the Shadow King is, is taking this interesting position now of basically being like, I'm the new apocalypse. Big Daddy A, Big Daddy A's in Amenth, not here anymore. And Shadow King's like, Big Daddy A was weak by the end of this, okay? But he had the right idea, the survival of the fittest thing that actually aligns more more precisely with the mutants of Amenth, right? Or with the mutants of Araka, now in Planet Mars, right? They have this very um, winner-take-all, you know, more bloodthirsty survival mentality. And Shadow King is basically like, all of us here on Krakoa are getting weak. Mutant kind is getting weak. I've never seen Shadow King, Amal Farouk, before in anything close to the the apocalypse-esque benefactor of mutant kind, right? Apocalypse was always a villain who did want mutant kind to thrive, right? Even when that character was at odds with the X-Men, right? And the heroes, right? And was positioned as a villain. It was a character who still wanted mutant survival. Shadow King's rarely been quite that. Shadow King's more about, or has historically been more about um, himself, right? Personal gain, personal pleasure, um, at the expense of basically everything else. Uh, but here, taking on this position of being like, well, there are some good ideas here with Krakoa, but I don't think we're taking it far enough. I don't think we're actually preparing our children and the mutants of this nation uh, to, to be strong enough for this. And it's, it's actually really comforting. It's actually really intriguing to see a former, you know, or 
remaining villain, right, a, a longtime X-Men villain, take this stance again post-apocalypse, because really nobody else is having that conversation, and I think it's still an extremely relevant one uh, in this era, And we, as we kind of consider how far can Krakoa go? How far does this era go, right? Um, so I, I really enjoyed this. I thought the conversations were smart. I thought they were intelligent. I thought they were deeply connected to what is interesting about the X-Men on the island nation of Krakoa. Um, and again, Roderick's art, I mean, he's just killing it here. You have like three wordless pages at one point of the new mutants trapped in the Shadow King's visions of destructions to come. Uh, it is just glorious, glorious comic booking. And Ayala and Rice are doing... Uh, the best New Mutants run in in quite some time. You know, I mean, like references back to Claremont's and Cabbage Heyday are not super out of place. Like, that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, there's a question here I saw in the chat come in. Let's see if I can pull it up. Um, basically asking, like, if I started with Ayala and Race. Okay, here it is. If I wanted to read New Mutants starting from the beginning of Ayala's run, can I do it? Do I have to necessarily read all the previous chapters to understand everything? Um... I think you can. I, I really think you can here. I mean, you know, so I think this started with, what was it, issue 14 off the top of my head? Um, it, it is it is a clear distinction between the previous runs. You know, so New Mutants, when it started, post-House and post-Powers, it kicked off with a weird uh, um, alternating issue thing between Jonathan Hickman written issues with Rod Race on art and then the Ed Brisson component, okay? The Brisson component, I would say, is entirely skippable. Um some people might like it. That's fine. It got better as it went, but it was never quite good. And it definitely does not add a lot to the era of Kirko. I think you could skip those issues entirely. The Hickman bits fit more with Hickman's X-Men than they do with what Ayala and Reese were doing in New Mutants, right? And and basically, the Hickman bits of X-Men were all to just set up stuff that he then wanted to do with the Brood and X-Men. <laughs> like, so it's some, it's some fun, jaunty, cosmic stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why you couldn't start with... New Mutants number 14, assuming that is where it started. I, again, I'm just going off memory here. Um, and just read the Allery stuff. I mean, it's it's the best of the bunch, and uh, it's well worth reading, especially if you have any fandom for not only these characters, but like Shadow King specifically. Um, you know, I, I think like that's, it, it's it's been really good. It's been a really welcome surprise to me how good it has been. Um, you know, I, I would have thought going into it, like, okay, like, middle of the pack, like, that'd be, that'd be ideal, right? If it kind of can, can hold its ground there with, like, the Wolverines of the world with X-Force. Um, no, it's way better than that. It's way better than that. Uh, and I'm, I'm loving it. So definitely let me know what you think of New Mutants here, what you think it might be going. Um, I think, like, probably the next issue is really the ultimate in, uh, okay, what is actually going to happen here? What is actually to come with Shadow King? I mean, I think that's, that's the big gap in this issue is... Okay, so we kind of come into this issue, things start escalating, and seemingly we know that Shadow King killed Gabby, that Shadow King has been manipulating these children, that he's kind of trying to be new apocalypse, and the weirdness of it is is just sort of title specific, where it's like, okay, and here come the new mutants to handle that, as opposed to, like, Professor X <laughs> might have some thoughts on his arch enemy and what they're doing on the island, like, that's a gap. For me right like it's hard to tell a shadow king being the worst story and not have the thoughts of charles xavier or storm for example right characters who have a history with shadow king i think maybe hopefully that's to come in new mutants number 23 and they don't have to be the stars of the show right let the new mutants drive it right the kids have handled it to this point the kids right <laughs> they're as old as i am <laughs> at this point in x-men continuity but 
I think you need a reaction from some of those other players. And, you know, I am, this is the thing I talked about from the beginning, but like Krakoa, this era of X-Men is about breaking all the rules, right? It's about doing things differently. That's why we have Apocalypse on the island, why Mr. Sinister is on the council, these sorts of things. Um, I would like to see a new angle for Amal Farouk. I would like to see a new position in the world of mutant kind. Like, I don't know. Like, there have to be some ramifications for assuming he did kill Gabby. Like, seems like a sort of thing. I, again, though, that's like a weird one in Krakow and Law because it's like, okay, what does that mean? Like, he's on a new team of Hellions. Like, what do you do with that person? You not necessarily throw him in the pit with Sabretooth, which we're going to talk about a little bit here in a bit. Um, so, I would you put Shadow King, like, you know, should, should Amal Farouk be in the conversation, like, on the council? Like, they're making, like, making interesting arguments, <laughs> you know? I don't see that. I don't see him having the votes. But anyway, I'm curious what they're going to do. This run has been awesome. New Mutants from 22 is my favorite X-Men comic of the week for sure. And uh, and and I dug it. So, I, yeah, I recommend if you haven't read this run, um, you could start with Alan Rice. I think it's New Mutants number 14 and definitely continue from there and, and see if you're into it. Uh, I think it's been really good. The quick comment for the next issue reads Fall of the Shadow Children, which uh, there's a lot of kind of Fall of the Mutants vibes going on right now. Not not accidentally, you know, not accidentally, right? We're kind of in this era of Inferno, Fall of Krakoa, in Hellions, which we'll talk about. We have a clear Fall of the Hellions situation going on. What is the Fall of the Shadow Children specifically? That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting, right? Like, I'm not the most invested in that plot necessarily, but I am curious what exactly that means. So um, it's awesome. It's It's an awesome run. I'm digging it. And, uh, and I, I hope other people are too. So, all right, I want to address some questions before I talk Excalibur 24 and Hellions number 16. Um, let's, let's start with the big one because the, as I have these images scrolling here, one of them is this tweet that I saw in the, the Twitter is credited in the image there. Um, but it's basically somebody identified that Leah Williams shared this photo on Twitter. Leah Williams is the writer of Trial Magneto right now, part of the X office of the X office summit, right? They do this big zoom meeting, they show everybody. And there are two writers in there or two creators in there who Leah Williams attempted to, uh, scribble out, right? Cause they're not announced yet. They're not public knowledge. And somebody, uh, went in and saw it through the background that wasn't scribbled out. They were like, oh, that's Kieran Gillen's office. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Uh, it's really a small sliver, but if you compare the sort of side-by-sides and do that that sort of, you know, detective work, uh, yeah, it does look like it's probably Kieran Gillen's office. So this is totally unsurprising, uh, but exciting that, that Kieran Gillen, a uh, comics creator, would potentially be a part of the X Summit, that, that they would have a book probably coming, right, in the future. Now, I when I saw this news and shared it out on uh, at Comic Book Herald on Twitter, you know, I... My thought was a Generation X book would make a ton of sense. Gillen's Young Avengers is is pretty influential and widely beloved. Um, a Generation X books has not been announced. I think that would fit with the Young Avengers, Wick Div sort of vibe of a creator like Gillen. Uh, the other series that I teased, which is something that I actually have communicated directly to Gillen. So if it happens, uh, you know, I'll take a little credit. Uh, a Mr. Sinister mini or maxi would be amazing. I mean, I would absolutely love that. Gillen is the one who reinvented Sinister in the way that Hickman sort of took and ran with in House and Powers um, in, in Gillen's Uncanny X-Men, which is circa 2011. The first, I want to say, three issues are an arc called Everything is Sinister, and it really amplifies the sort of pomp and, and funny 
dynamics of this character that just has clones of himself absolutely everywhere. Um, Gillen Sinister is great. It's definitely one of the highlights of that run, which is fairly uneven, but the good parts are really good. And that, uh, that Sinister take is, is definitely a part of it. Uh, so, and, and it continues throughout that, even as they get into like Avengers vs. X-Men tie-ins, there's some really wild stuff with Mr. Sinister and like the Phoenix Force and cloning Madeline Pryor's and it, it's a whole thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to have Gillen in the X office. Uh, I mean, again, it hasn't been announced. It's not officially confirmed, but those are my predictions for what the title would be. I'm curious to hear what other people think about what Kieran Gillen might be writing in the X office coming forward. Um, you know, some people have talked about like, oh, Gillen, maybe he's the new head of X and people are talking about, um, you know, the, the nominating a new head of X. I just want to reiterate something I've been saying for weeks now. Uh, Post-Hickman, there will not be a new head of X. <laughs> it's just not a position that really exists devoid of Hickman. Uh, this was all but confirmed in the in the Jordan D. White interview in the excellent Chris Hassan-led X-Men Mondays on Adventures in Poor Taste. So, um, or, I mean, it's pretty literally confirmed there. So, uh, to know, I don't think, like, Gillen's going to, like, take over, but their presence, their influence, and uh, creating some comics will be a good thing. Um, I've really been digging Eternals by Gillen and uh, Isad Rebic. It's been one of my favorite Marvel comics of the year. Um, there's some interesting one-shots going out there, and there's some interesting stuff with Thanos and the Eternals. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, um, you know, I definitely recommend you do. Uh, some people have been asking, you know, I did a couple of videos early on about Eternals, and I, I called it Ease in Eternals, and, uh, you know, kind of going through the history and stuff, and that was fun, and I still really like it. I have kept up, um, uh, but I don't necessarily have a ton that I want to be doing in terms of just use of my time. <laughs> on all things Eternals. Maybe maybe as the movie gets closer and I see if there's a little more investment. Um, but uh, but here's the thing about Eternals videos. Not a ton of attention. <laughs> not everybody's looking for it. You wouldn't believe that. You would not believe that with the Eternals. But uh, but it's a really good run. It is a really good series. And I, I, I hope some people check it out. So, all right. So we got Gillen in. Then the other question, right, is who's the other blurred out figure there? Um, the first name that came to mind was like, oh, is that Chip? Is that Chip Zdarsky? I did do a background comparison. I did my own detective work to see like, hey, what, is his Zoom? Is that kind of what his room looked like? Um, not that cameras can move to different rooms or whatever. Didn't look like it. I don't think it was Zdarsky. Probably, probably that figure is uh, Steve Orlando, who was just announced as the on, uh, upcoming writer of Marauder's Annual. Okay, so Steve Orlando, which this is something that I called a while ago in the video I did on Curse of the Man thing talking about, okay, it seems like Steve Orlando has X plans, right? This He wrote a Quiet Council scene in that book, and that'll be cool too. I think Steve Orlando's a great fit to take over Marauders. It's half past time for Duggan to step off that title. I think Orlando's a great fit for The Office. Um, I really like a lot of Orlando's work. I think uh, his Midnighter run at DC is, is really, really good stuff. Commanders in Crisis at Image has been very interesting as well. Uh, it's a good fit. It makes a lot of sense, and uh, I'm excited for that creative turnover. It also has me fairly excited for, like, any creative turnover, I guess, post-Inferno. You know, what uh, What titles are going to change hands? What titles will be new? Um, what titles are going away? That Like, will there be a Hellions run post-Inferno? You know, it's, I think all implications are there will not be a Zeb Wells-written Hellions run post-Inferno, but we don't know that for sure. Um, so it's, you know... We'll see. But Orlando's a great fit for, for Marauders. I do have a list here of um, of creatives who I think would be a great fit in the X office uh, post-Inferno, or really any time. Uh, we can maybe get to that 
as we go. I see a comment here, Dave, stop denying your promotion as head of X. Uh, that's that's just what I insist others call me. <laughs> My wife refuses. She has not once called me the head of X or the head of anything, really. Uh, but I am nonetheless pushing it. Uh, I, I'm trying to use my vast, vast power and resources to get that uh, to get that going. In work emails, I have added that to my signature. Um, no one has said anything with the exception of HR reaching out and, uh, and they had some questions. <laughs> so we'll deal with that as they come. All right, let's get to uh, some listener questions here. Marcos asks, hey, Dave, do you think the Quiet Council will release Sabretooth to carry out the missions the Hellions were doing so far? I like that idea, but no, I don't expect that's why Sabretooth's out. I, I fully am on board with the working theory that Sabretooth will be freed by Mystique. Team, team Mystique, Team Destiny, right, during Inferno. Um, they obviously have sort of a Brotherhood of Evil connection sort of relationship. They were working together in House of X number one, you know, in their way, right, when they when they raided that facility. So uh, I doubt it'll be, like, Quiet Council mandated. Um, I do like that idea, though, of, like, going to the pit and creating a new Hellions unit. Uh, although... I don't know. I guess that's the thing. Like, that's actually an interesting conversation for the Quiet Council to be like, hey, this was a pretty bad idea. The Hellions are falling apart. We'll talk about that. Um, should we try it again? New people? Do we need a new Suicide Squad? Uh, it is an interesting question. Um, I would like, I mean, it, but that, I think that approximates sort of the Sabretooth series that I've been desperately wanting to happen, which is like a Sabretooth and the Exiles kind of thing, right? Any sort of team where it's like they have to go on these impossible, weird multiversal missions, I think would be extremely cool. Uh, but I don't anticipate that's how it happens, but I, I like the thought. All right. Let's see. What else do we have? Hi, Dave. Do you think there could be more people in the pit that we haven't explicitly seen put there? They seem to be mentioning it a lot as a threat, but it's never really followed through. It is increasingly funny to me that only Sabretooth has been thrown in the pit. Um, again, Celine killed so many men. <laughs> <laughs> in the coats, Captain America was then like a part of X Corp and nominated to the board and no repercussions. Uh, so I like, again, another idea I really like. I like the idea of there being other mutants who were thrown in the pit that we haven't seen. I think the challenge there becomes like, who could they be that that wouldn't have been a story? Um, do you create new characters for that? I just, the idea of mutants having gone through that quietly and secretly is. It, you know, is like, I, it's kind of wild, you know? And I mean, one thing you could do is you could look at like, okay, here are the mutants who they've refused to resurrect, right? Could like blindfold. But then it's like, why did they even resurrect that character? You know, um, Evan Sovener, some of these clones, right? They could be in the pit and, and hidden there. But then it's like, well, why'd you even resurrect them in the first place? Just throw them in the pit. That's cruel and unusual, even for uh, Charlie X. So I... I I like it. I mean, I think the thing with the pit, and we're going to hopefully find this out maybe in Inferno, definitely in the Victor Laval written Sabretooth, which I can't wait for. Um, the thing with the pit, though, is like, it kind of can't just be Sabretooth. Like, it's even if you look at a series, it's probably the most comparable. If you're talking about a character in a prison and kind of what do you do with that, um, Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward Black Bolt, which is one of the best books of like, what, 2016, 2017. Um, they had to add some other characters. They had to add some other players to that mystery prison at the end of the universe. Otherwise, it's like, if you just have Sabretooth in this 
or Cohen no space. What do you do with that? So there has to be, for there to be a story there, not there has to be, but like I'm kind of anticipating for there to be a story there that there might be some other characters. So I think probably the pit is less empty than uh, we were initially led to believe. Like I do not think Sabretooth in the pit, those scenes will be black background, Sabretooth thinking to himself. <laughs> it seems probably like not the way you approach that story. Uh, so I definitely want to learn more about it. I want to learn more about what is the pit? What has Sabretooth been going through? Um, you know, Krakoan no spaces still just like, what is, what are those? Like what is happening there? Why does Krakoan not know about them? Et cetera. Okay. So good question. Thanks for getting it in. And, uh, and those of you who have additional questions, definitely let me know. I think let's talk um, Hellions first, and then I'll get into maybe some other, some other topics and ideas here. All right. So Hellions, the almost the best book every month, 1A, 1B, probably somewhere in there, right? Hellions has been fantastic. Love it. Zeb Wells doing amazing work. Every artist that is filled in doing their thing. Um, super funny book, generally. Hellions number 16, this is where they got punchy, <laughs> right? This is where they take the humor away and, again, get into what is becoming the fall of the Hellions, you know? And this team's falling apart. We should not be surprised that this team is falling apart. They were built to fall apart. Effectively, um, again, this issue, this run is going to end with issue 16, uh, 18, which is going to be December, and then, you know, it's going all going to be post-Inferno, and, and it'll, something new will come in its wake. That is, again, I said, like, I'm, I'll be sad to have this run go because it's been such a delight and such a surprising delight in the X line. Um, but it makes sense that it would have a definite and, and clear conclusion. I think ultimately that's for the best for a run of this nature. Uh, everyone is absolutely broken in Hellions number 16. Like the fallout of issue 15, which was sinister plans sort of spill out in the open. We learn that the team learns that Quanan has been kind of playing along because... Uh, Sinister had her daughter's DNA captured at the end of 15. Empath manipulates Havoc into destroying Tarn the Uncaring's minions of Arako, uh, I think as well as Quanan's daughter's DNA, essentially. Basically, like, destroy, basically kills her, right? I mean, is, is every implication. Um, everyone is in an absolute low point, in their lowest place. I mean, Wells even here even guns for sympathy or, or empathy, if you will, for Empath, right? Who, this this just one of the worst characters in the world of mutants, um, who even here gets a little a little sad puppy dog visual. Uh, it's another very good issue in this run. I think it is a natural progression. I mean, I the biggest thing probably that happens in this is, but there's a few things, there's a few interesting things. So, like, one component is um, Cyclops is having a conversation with Psylocke, and he says, oh, you, you know, you didn't take that captain role for nothing. That happened in Inferno number one, didn't it? Like, unless that also happened somewhere else, Psylocke is nominated to captain in Inferno number one, and it really flies in this face of this sort of weird X-Men continuity tangle that I've been alluding to, where it seems like every issue of Inferno should and will come out basically after all the ongoing X-Men comics that are published from September through December, right? It feels like, or at least my expectation was like, okay, everything published from September through December will go ahead of Inferno 1 through 4, and then that'll kind of be like a, a post-all-those-issues event, which is, again, a continuity sort in terms of publication date mess that the X-Office hasn't really had, right? And they haven't really had it because when Hickman did House and Powers the first time, they just shut everything down, right? There weren't any ongoings to deal with. 
Um, you know, if you're going to have a big event like this, but not have tie-ins, it raises some scheduling challenges, right? In terms of the chronology or everything, in terms of how it all fits together, which is not unusual if you're familiar with Marvel Comics. Um, Hellion 16 references Inferno number one. So then it's like, okay, I guess it has to be after Inferno number one. So now we have this weird situation where seemingly Inferno is in fact happening, aligned with the story of some of these comics, um, but maybe not. So that's that's kind of muddled. That's kind of a mess. You know, I mentioned like Trial of Magneto and Inferno. Those are definitely badly disconnected, I would say, just after the short amount of issues that we have so far. Um, you know, I said in my reading order I have, which again, you can find the link in the show notes, go on chronicalcarol.com. I've got a whole range of X reading order. I've got it. So probably right now, the Trial of Magneto is all going to fit right before Inferno. You know, so I would just use Trial of Magneto 1 through 5, then Inferno 1 through 4. But then you have something like New Mutants referencing Trial of Magneto. So it's like you got to put all these pieces together. And again, this is totally how Marvel Comics generally work. <laughs> like, like this is normally what I do when I'm putting together reading orders and, and you know, putting together continuity of, of the Marvel Universe on Comic Book Herald, right? It's, it's a big part of what that website is. Um, I think, like, now the X office is at a point where they're at their messiest. And it's kind of been one of the appeals of this integrated feel of the line is generally you could read everything according to publication date. Like you could just go, okay, this came out this week. I'll read these, blah, 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 right? Which now you can't. Now you can't. Um, or you, I mean, you can. Listen, you'll survive. But like in terms of the continuity, in terms of the story, in terms of the chronology, it actually doesn't really work anymore. Uh, it's getting more muddled. It's getting more muddled. All of which is to say... Go to compocarol.com, use the Rainbow X reading order, you'll be fine. That's all, that's all you have to do. Uh, but it's more headache for me. It was a lot easier when I could just go, oh, okay, this came out this week, pop goes there. Uh, I also plopped in the uh, X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics, which are coming out exclusively via Marvel Unlimited. I plopped those into the reading order. Those are pretty atemporal, right? They feel like they could be read virtually anywhere post-House and Powers. Um, the first four issues are oh, that Wolverine story by Hickman and Declan Shalvey. It's fine. Absolutely fine. <laughs> it's nothing super exciting. There's nothing super essential. Uh, there's really no major contribution to uh, to the Kirk Cohen era or to the world. And uh, the next the last couple issues have been X-Men Unlimited 5 and 6, which are a Nature Girl story written by Jerry Duggan. Um, those are actually more interesting to me than the Hickman stuff. Uh, just because it's kind of a unexpected direction, and I guess I won't spoil it because probably fewer people have have refer or have read that. But uh, they're doing some really surprising things with the character of Nature Girl that actually uh, raise some challenging questions, and uh, and so I'm I'm more on board with that. Um, but again, in terms of like placing in reading order, it's sort of just like these happened in the Krakoa era sometime, uh, so you can put them in the middle of pack wherever. And it doesn't, it doesn't super matter. It doesn't seem like. But getting back to Hellions, um, the comic continues to be very good. Again, this was the this was the hitch in the stomach with the feels issue. The Krakoa for the next issue reads Firestorm, which I'm assuming will not be a DC crossover, but somebody can hope. Um, but you know, it's I mean, this series is gonna finish strong, I have no doubt. The other big thing that happened here is Emma Frost in an effort to talk Alex Summers down from feeling bad. Uh, mentioned or teased the resurrection of Madeline Pryor, which 
immediately lifted Havoc out of his mood. <laughs> like, so fast. was He was like, oh, I think I killed somebody. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I killed a little girl. And then she's like, hey, Madeline. And he's like, what? Okay, I'm better. Like, didn't. It just was that. It took a second. Um, and uh, it seems like that's going to happen. I mean, Madeline Pryor's on the cover of issue 18. Um, every conversation, you know, that has been building to this point with the five, they've basically been like, yeah, we're going to resurrect clones. It's weird not to. Um, I've been talking about the whole time. I mean, I don't know. It's a little weird now, but like, I've been saying the whole time it would make so much sense for this Inferno event to include Madeline Pryor in some capacity, even if it's a small capacity. So Emma seems to have a plan there. Uh, I, I kind of don't think she was saying that just to get Alex to stop being Moby. Like, I think she's genuinely going to push for the resurrection of Madeline Pryor, uh, which will raise some interesting questions. I'm, I'm looking for, and that, that kind of brings everything full circle for Hellions as well, right? Because that's where we started. That's the first, you know, four issues were... Um, the Hellions going in and taking out Madeline Pryor, you know, on behalf of Mr. Sinister. And then we bring full circle and come back and see uh, see what she's up to now that she'll have been resurrected. Uh, the other issue that came out today was Excalibur number 24. And I'm going to talk about that next. Get in your questions if you have them. And uh, I will try to answer some of those. All right. Let's talk. Excalibur number 24. We're making use of Otherworld. All right. All right. That's what I wanted. I mean, that's all of that Otherworld world building in Ten of Swords had to be for something. And now it seems to be paying off in Excalibur. This is, in many ways, what I hoped we would see in this book, especially post-Ten of Swords. And it's fun. It's kind of funny. Like, for so long, we spent so little time using anything going on in other world and how interesting that world is now and now in the last couple issues it's like we're doing everything <laughs> like like jim jaspers is there the furies are there uh the vampires of sevelith we you know we, uh, we had a uh, betsy has a conversation with with um death you know apocalypse's son uh it's it, it's a much more interesting book to me when we're in and really utilizing the full scale of other world i've enjoyed the last couple issues way more than what came before um, I think the tying back to these King Arthur seeds that were planted in like the first earliest issues is really interesting. I don't, it's not a storyline I'm super engaged with, you know, like back in issue number one, I remember uh, Verno from the Cerebros said in one of our earliest, you know, comics chats, like, Hey, there's this mystery about King Arthur that's being set up. I'm curious to see when that character is going to come back. And now it happened. So if you've been kind of anxiously waiting for that and, and intrigued by what's going to happen, um, that's a big payoff, right? That's nice. Uh, I like that there's that long-term planning there. Again, compared to like a New Mutants or obviously what Hickman is famous for, I don't think the, the pacing of it all really works, you know, when you're looking at it as a big run. But I like that that was planted there. And uh, I, I like that that is, is going places. Um, I'm really intrigued by... You know, the implication here, or not the implication, the outright statement is King Arthur's son, Mordred, who I think is most familiar to us as a, an ally of Morgan Le Fay, um, is, seems to be a mutant. Okay, so there's a whole push now in Otherworld with all these magical, mystical beings uh, where you have Merlin, the Furies, some others are pushing to get mutants out of Otherworld. And then you have, like, Lady Saturnine kind of overseeing we actually got captain britain corp showing up you know and doing their thing so i mean this is the kind this is the kind of other world stuff i wanted from this excalibur line um and uh and i think 
if you've been enjoying the series to this point, like this is this is the good stuff. This is what you've been waiting for, um, which is useful, I think, which is useful. I mean, I think, you know, still one of the hardest things is uh, Teeny Howard, I think, as a writer, so clearly wants to be writing a Betsy Braddock book and is. And I think this being considered like an Excalibur team just continues to be the weirdest misnomer, you know, um, every virtually everyone else is just irrelevant. I mean, it's 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 a Captain Britain book at the end of the day, in some ways, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that's fine, right? And that's fine. But there's a disconnect, I think, between treating it like an Excalibur series. I'm definitely very curious as to whether this book will uh, will continue post-Inferno. Um, I would like to see it come to a conclusion, definitely by the end of the year, and and get an answer, you know, put a, put a pin, put a resolution on the return of Arthur, between Mordred as a mutant, between whether or not mutants are allowed in another world, right? Wrap that, which seems to be the long-running story that Howard and company have been telling. And then, I don't know, I'm like, just then just relaunch a Captain Britain core book, which is what you want to be doing anyway, to me. And really play with the multiverse of it all. Really play with what it means to have Betsy Braddock mutant Captain Britain. I think that's a really great story. I think that's a really interesting story to be told um, that has things you can do that other X-Men books can't. Excalibur is not doing a ton that other books can't right now, um, at least not super well, you know? But again, these last few issues, I love, I love, I love playing with all the world building that was done in Otherworld. Uh, the more Jim Jaspers, the more um, uh, the Furies we can get into this, the more interesting this book's going to be. I mean, honestly, and I know it's, you know, some people really don't like Ten of Swords, but the more this thing feels like Ten of Swords, the better it's going to be. Like, the more into it I'm going to be. That's the potential of this series is doing all that wild sword and sorcery and world building. Um, all of that, like think about too, like all that world building they did in Ten of Swords, all the different dimensions and locations in Otherworld and how little of that has kind of paid off. And also like, you know, there's still mysteries here, like Mr. M, like, what is that? <laughs> like, what is happening with Omega level Mr. M, their own seeming dimension within Otherworld? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't know anything about that. Um, that is a, a very quietly intriguing mystery that nothing has been done with. And if this run is going to conclude, you know, kind of alongside Inferno and everything's going to relaunch, um, that feels like a good phase two to me. Personally, personally, if this Excalibur franchise is going to relaunch and start anew, I'd love to see creative turnover. I would love to see new creators take a stab at it. We've got what this run is. I've got a feel for what Teeny Howard and company are capable of. And it's just not a run for me. I know that now, right? We're 24 issues in. Um, and again, I'm acknowledging when it's better. I'm acknowledging when it's good. Um, but I would love to see new creators take over Excalibur. I think that would, you know, much like Duggan's run on Marauders, I thought started extremely hot early on. I was, I mean, at the end of 2019, I was like, I like Marauders more than I like Hickman's X-Men. Um, and, and in the early stages, I did. But now at this point, you know, it's time for change. It's time for new creatives to take a stab at that idea, at those characters. Um, I mean, the only, you know, I, I think one of the, it, this is true for most comics at this point, right? Where we crave new things. We crave change, I think, as consumers. Despite how much I say I love long runs, and I do, uh, generally, it's really hard to keep up the enthusiasm for a book on its 21st issue compared to, you know, its second or whatever. And, I, you know, a, a Jeb McKay launched Moon Knight series is inherently more exciting than like, you know, whatever issue 18 in their Black Cat run, which is really good, which is very good. Um, so, you know, I'm pushing for a creative change. I just don't think, I don't think any of the writers that have had 20 plus issue runs 
have really done the long run super well, you know, to this point. Um, Percy's X-Force is extremely consistent. So if you're like, I love this, you probably love it from point A to point B, right? I, I don't think it's dropped off um, in that same way. I just think it's been middle middle X-Book that whole time. I mean, Zeb Wells is going to hit 18 and it's going to be a great 18 issues. But again, it's like anything that's cracked 20 plus, no one's like on a tear. Like nobody's doing their best work post-issue 20, right? Hickman got out at 21. Um, you got Teen Howard on Excalibur. You got uh, Duggan on Marauders. You got Percy on X-Force. Nobody's doing their best stuff post-issue 20. So generally, I'm for letting series run and doing long runs. But in this case, because of what we know is coming, because we know there's going to be new creatives in the in the house, you know, in the X office, and because we know Inferno is supposed to change the dynamics of this world, like, yeah, it's time to, it's basically, it's time to relaunch everything post X lives and X deaths of Wolverine. You know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that, right? It, if it means new creative, new vision, right? If Excalibur goes to issue 25, ends in December, then in March relaunches with Excalibur number one with the same team? No, <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, so I see a question here. Will Emma Frost get a solo series? Uh, that'd be cool. That actually would be cool. I would like to see more small solo series. Five-issue minis, 12-issue maxi, you know, the Tom King approach at the most. I, you know, I think one, and I talked about this not too long ago, but like not every X-Men character is capable of pulling off a long run. You know, most are not, actually. Most are not. I mean, the, historically, the only character that can do that is Wolverine and Cable, really. You know, I think Storm is more than capable in the right creative hands, but historically that has not happened. Cyclops hasn't done it either, you know. Um, so I, I would love to see more minis, though. I would love to see... Uh, yeah, five-issue M. Frost series set in this world, sure. Be cool as hell. Like, do more stuff like that as opposed to 20-plus issues of mediocrity, if that's what it's going to be, right? And that's all dependent on the creatives, you know? I understand that. Um, so, all right. I don't really have more Excalibur thoughts. I think if you have questions, um, you know, definitely let us know in the comments here. But, you know, otherwise I can go to, I think, the final topic I have. I did see a question here in the Super Chat uh, that is about something specific that I do not know what you're talking about. Um, so about the John B. Calhoun mouse utopia, uh, is that a psychology thing? <laughs> Maybe I studied that in college. I do not remember it. Um, so, you know, yeah, if it's related to Krakoa and, and general same thinking, hit me up. I'll check it out. All right, before I get into my final topic, um, here's my list of creatives I want to see writing X-Men books in 2022. Kelly Thompson makes a ton of sense. We're a really good Rogan Gambit. I'm not a huge Rogan Gambit fan. Did a good job with that. All right, here's the list based on my Best Comics 2021. If you Google Best Comics 2021 so far, uh, you will find comicbookherald.com somewhere in that list and uh, click it. You'll find them. I've got like almost 40 now picks of really, really great comics. Based on that list, I'm going on the, the creators I think are somewhat plausible. Ones that, you know, because there are some on there, but I'm like, eh, it's not happening. But some of these I think are somewhat plausible. Could do an next book. Here's who I want to see. N.K. Jemison. That would roll. Junie Ba. Lesser known. Up and coming creator. Wrote a, a really good book from TKO Studios called Dejalaya. Uh, it's a great graphic novel. I love, I love his style. I had him on the Creator Annotators podcast for an interview. It's great. Really, really interesting new creator. Check out that work if you haven't. But he was pitching some like Black Panther stuff on Twitter recently. Looks amazing. Would fit incredibly well in the X office. Uh, anyone from the White Noise team 
Alex Packnadel, Dan Waters, Ram V, Ryan O'Sullivan. Yes, yes, and yes. Ram V especially, doing a Venom now with Al Ewing. Bring him into the X office. Be amazing. David F. Walker, right in Bitterroot. Bring him in. Bring him in. Sophie Campbell made me care about TMNT Comics. Made me care about TMNT Comics and, uh, and, and brought back 90s kid fandom for me. Love that. Love that. Would love to see Sophie Campbell. All right, bigger names. Actually, let's go smaller first. Christopher Cantwell. Okay, I've been on the fence about Iron Man. I don't have it on one of my favorites, uh, Marvel Comics of 2021, which is, I don't know, it's fine. I, it, you know, I just, it just hasn't like knocked my head off or anything. Um, Cantwell's The Blue Flame from Vault Comics. Great, great stuff. That's on the best comics 2021 list. And uh, that gets Cantwell a nod from me. Bring him into the X office. Bring um in Jeb McKay. Yes, seeing that in the chat. Yes, everything right now. Like Jeb McKay. So hot, as Will Ferrell would say. Um, final one, final big name, who for the longest time I would have said, like, mm, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. Matt Fraction, okay? Well-known, well-known creator, uh, has written their fair share of X-Men comics, right? Uncanny X-Men and whatnot. Uh, Fraction is at a really interesting point in his comics career where he kind of just gets to do what he wants. And uh, can do a weird Jimmy Olsen book, which is great and fascinating. Can do November, this series of novellas, which is really, really interesting. I think Fraction would bring something wholly unique to X-Men in a way that he did not and maybe was not like interested or, or had the, the leverage to do circa 2008-2009 when he was writing Uncanny X-Men. I think Fraction would approach X-Men so differently now. Um, I can't think of a better creator right now with the prestige that Fraction has to do uh, in um, X-Statics book. Matt Fraction would knock an ecstatics book out of the damn park. So that's my my final pitch for <laughs> the X Office creator that should be brought in. Matt Fraction on an ecstatics, or you know that that um you know early two thousands if you're not familiar, Peter Milligan and Mike Allred book, which should be required reading for for X Men fans and for mutant fans. Okay, so that's my list. Final thoughts here. All right. Let's talk, and again, if you have any final questions, get them in now. If you have any final Super Chats, get them in now, because I'm not going to go a heck of a lot longer. Uh, all right, final thought. I see a question here. Was Fractions X-Men good? It is fine. Underwhelming, I think, for the prestige uh, Matt Fraction has, for the fact that Hawkeye is, like, the definitive superhero comic of the 2010s. Um, Matt Fraction came into his own, I would say, after X-Men was done. Or like even even during that time, his work with Ed Brubaker and David Aja on The Immortal Iron Fist is light years ahead of what X-Men was. There are some great moments. There are some fun stuff. Um, I like a lot of what they did with Magneto during that era. It's all during the Utopia era, you know, so obviously has familiarity with Island Nations. Um, but it's not a knockout. It's not a knockout, I don't think. Actually, I think that whole era, you have like Ed Brubaker into Matt Fraction on Uncanny X-Men and as great as both those writers are, as great as they have been at comics, both with Marvel and with their own stuff, um, their X-Men's are not exceptional, um, you know, to use an X-Pun. So, but it's, it's worth going back to if you're interested, interested in the Utopia experience. It's not like it's bad or anything. Um, all right, so final thoughts. I've been reading Foundation by Isaac Asimov. <laughs> finally, finally discovered some science fiction here. You know, I kind of realized this year that like, and it, it's all like media driven, right? There's a Dune movie coming out and now Foundation on Apple TV. And I kind of realized like how woefully inadequate my science fiction knowledge base is for someone who really enjoys science fiction or would have said that I did. 
Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like approaching fantasy media now and not having a basis in Tolkien or not having that baseline of like the history that came. That's how I felt going back now and reading Dune for the first time, reading Foundation for the first time and being like, oh, wow, I, I've been lacking such a, a clear foundation to, to double down on that pun of, of the, you know, the greats of the old greats of science fiction. Um, I found Foundation particularly interesting, not only because there's a TV series out, right, on Apple TV, um, not only because it's really good, <laughs> it is, uh, and because Asimov's such a big name that I've just never read before, uh, but one, clear influences on, on Hickman, on his whole style, both Foundation and Dune are clear, have clear influences on House and Powers, okay? Whether they are deliberate and intentional or whether they are just the fabric of of science fiction storytelling, there are very clear influences. I think the thing that I was most excited by with Foundation, though, in terms of parallels between what is happening in X-Men and what Asimov was doing when he wrote the novel a billion years ago, it came out so long ago, it's amazing how long ago it came out, <laughs> like how, how advanced it is for the time. Um, Harry Seldon, and I won't spoil anything in Foundation, I don't know if I even could, but Harry Seldon is this character in Foundation who, uh, perfects essentially this thing called psychohistory and essentially what it is is it's using psychology it's using understanding of humanity at a very broad macro level to predict how humanity is going to pro progress and basically basically it is treated as and sort of utilized as precognition right so the the whole first book foundation is is kind of driven by somebody who shows up and is like i'm a precog here's how things are going to go and then people react. And that obviously has so many parallels to Destiny and Moira and what's going on right now in X-Men and in Inferno. Um, it's kind of impossible to see, you know, I, I, or not to see. And I think like, it's interesting too, because you have these characters who can basically say, I know what's gonna happen, but then you can have very different responses in terms of being freaked out by that, in terms of being mad by what they have to say, in terms of like, oh, you say these bad things are gonna happen. I don't wanna hear that, it's inconvenient right? And there are a lot of modern parallels you can draw to that. But the way Harry Seldon parallels to Destiny and Moira, I thought was completely fascinating. It kept popping into my head throughout the book in a very, very exciting way. One of the coolest things, though, about Foundation is jumps across centuries, okay? As the book progresses, chronologically, it just leaps in time, okay? It takes these massive, massive jumps, almost reads like a series of short stories, but they're all super interconnected. And there's such a grasp of history in the interconnectedness of society across generations. And this ties into something that I was getting at, or was trying to get at last week uh, in the X-Men conversation, which is where is that in X-Men? I feel like still that was the coolest, most interesting promise, not promise, but tease of House and Powers was that this is a story that will play out across generations, X1, X10, X1000, across timelines. We will see how mutants progress. We will see the impact. That's what Foundation does as a novel, as a series. Where is that in X-Men? It is lacking. It is severely lacking, and it is the most underutilized element of what would make this run so special, of what would make this time in Marvel Comics so special is obviously we've seen future timelines in Marvel Comics right? But we've never seen anything quite structured that effectively. We've never seen anyone really dive into like, here's what they were doing in X100. And here's how that ties back to what we learned in X1. All that stuff was teased, but never really fulfilled. 
you know? And I think that is the thing for me that hopefully, hopefully Inferno only one issue has come out. We will see a lot more of that in Inferno. We will see teases of that. And then I want to see some of that followed up on post Inferno. I mean, it doesn't seem to be the angle that the line is taking. Like it seems like they really want to play in Krakoa in this timeline. And I think that's disappointing. I really do. I think that's disappointing because like, again, Krakoa is not that different than Utopia. Krakoa is not that different than Genosha. Okay. These things have been done in X-Men comics. We have not seen, with the exception of X-Men 2099, which is its own beast, we have not really seen X-Men across generations, across history, into the future. That's what I want to see. So X-Men office, please take some notes from Foundation and apply as you see fit. <laughs> that is my final call. All right, everybody, thanks for listening today. I really appreciate all of you that were able to join live. Um, again, I'll be back next week, uh, every Wednesday as comics come out. We'll see uh, We'll see how exciting the comics are next week. Maybe I'll do Crack and Krakoa. Maybe I'll just do them all here on Casual Krakoa if nothing really jumps out at me. But seriously, thanks everybody for joining. And, you know, as always, enjoy the comics.